weekend, and it's very good to have everyone out this uh, morning for our worship service to God. It's very good to have Jan back with us. It's good to see that she is feeling up to be able to come back to go worship with us. Uh, it makes us very joyful, and then to have our visitors it makes that joyful. So, as Paul said, you are my my joy in the Lord, and so. This morning we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. This is going to be part six. And this section I just titled it, uh, Jesus and the Law. Uh, that's what he's going to be dealing with in these two paragraphs. Um, because there was fear, uh, and there's going to be false rumors that Jesus is trying to speak things contrary to what? The law. Uh, the law. And that he's trying to speak things contrary to the prophets. And so he's dealing with that right here. Uh, and so first we need to know what law are they referring to. And so that's point one this morning. It'll be a very uh, short point. But we need to know what law it, it, it's about. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, as Frank had read for us earlier this morning, Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill and so he's telling them, he's giving them comfort, I'm not coming to destroy the law, I'm fulfilling it. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when Paul's writing to the churches in Galatia, he says, but when the fullness of time was come, when the time was right, God sent forth his son. There's many today that said that God made an error. And that's why Jesus is going to come back the second time to set up his earthly kingdom. But God said when the time was come, when it was right, when the fullness of time was come, it was the right time to send Jesus. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Well, it's, it, it's telling us that he was made under a law. In Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named that the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to what? The law of Moses were accomplished. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord at that time is the law of Moses. Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Jesus was born under the law of Moses and that is the current law of the Lord. So he's saying, I'm not going to destroy the law of Moses. Point number two this morning is Jesus' life. This is going to be our longest point this morning. Jesus' life. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says he didn't come, think not that I am not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. And so we're going to focus in right now on the prophets, and we'll come back to the law in a minute. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And so what prophet told us this? It was the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a, child, a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
And so many times in the Old Testament, what were they looking for? A sign. And God says this will be the sign that a virgin shall conceive. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22, the prophet Jeremiah wrote, How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing. Well, what's that new thing? It's going to be a sign for you. This new thing. In the earth, a woman shall compass a man. So what is she going to do? She's going to go around the use of a man. It's not going to be a natural conception. How will God accomplish this? Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. But while he thought on these things, this is, this is Joseph. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of God, uh, David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost, not by the use of a man. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we're going to see how that conception took place. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come on, upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And so Jesus is referred to as a that and a thing. And so many times when we talk about a touch of before a child's born, we may say it, and people, oh, it's not an it. Well, that's good company to have. Jesus is referred to, as we're going to see soon, as an it. He's referred to as that. He's referred to as a thing. But he's also referred to as a male child, the son of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God is telling, making a promise to the devil, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his head. I do believe that God has intentionally put the word her there because it's not going to be the seed of man. Now, it may be in the lineage of man, but it's going to be the use of a woman that's going to bring the Messiah into the world. And the Messiah here is referred to as what? An it. Jesus Christ. And we see that it's going to be a him, his heel. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, there's your male, made of a woman without the use of man, <clears throat> made under the law of Moses. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And when he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Well, why did he do that? Because, because of what Herod had declared that all male children of the ages, I believe it was two and under, were to be slaughtered, male babies. And it was there until what? The death of Herod, the one that put that decree out. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of the Egypt I have called my son. Which prophet? Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. We're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy through the life of Christ. He's fulfilling it. He's not destroying it. Where did they go? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. 
It's not recorded in the Old Testament books of prophecy that I could find. Notice it says by the prophets. And so notice more than one pro prophet spoke of it, though. This fact may have been hidden because the reason they fled to Egypt was to escape the decree of Herod, slaying the male babies. And even though he was dead, Herod was not the one doing the murdering of the babies. And so if they knew to go to Nazareth to look for him, they would just be looking for those young children to come into Nazareth. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim. And so, unfortunately, I messed up on my uh, animations. Why did Jesus leave Nazareth? In Luke chapter 4, verse 24. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And so, he was... He was born in Bethlehem, but he was known as a Nazarite because that's where they came to dwell when they came back from Egypt. And the people of Nazareth rejected Christ. Why did Jesus head to Capernaum after the devil tempted him in the wilderness? In Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah or Isaiah. The prophet saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which saw in the region and the shadow of death, light has sprung up. And so, where did he go in Joel? He dwelt among the Gentiles. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And so we can see that Capernaum was a city of Galilee. You have the Sea of Galilee. And so now Jesus' ministry is going to start. We don't have very much of him as a child. We have them going into the temple and making those things, uh, offering the, either the two turtle doves or the two pigeons uh, as the Lord, uh, Lord commanded. And then you read about that time when he went, uh, when his parents couldn't find him. But then it, it's pretty much... Everything on the life of Christ is his ministry. Those last three years of his life. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's his ministry. After the, the uh, temptation of the devil he began to preach and telling the people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 8 verses 14 and 16. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lay and sick of fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now notice, when she was healed, what did she go straight to doing? Serving. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Why? Matthew chapter 8, verse 7, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bared our sickness. He touched her hand and the fever left her. He casted the spirits out by just his word of mouth, and he healed all that came to him on that day from their sicknesses. Now we can make, uh, that's physical, but we can take spiritual because he has bared our infirmities and took away the sickness of sin from us on that cross. 
Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 and 16. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known. Jesus withdraws himself from the Pharisees that tend to destroy him. Jesus does turn, uh, doesn't, doesn't, should say doesn't, doesn't turn to violence to stop those who oppose him. Jesus charges the multitude to keep his identity as a secret. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in my whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Well, where did he go and dwell? He dwelt with the Gentiles in Capernaum. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break. He's not even going to break a reed. And smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. How did Jesus teach? Matthew chapter 13, verse 34. And all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in what? Parables. And without a parable spake he not unto them. Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundations of the world. We find this in Psalms. We often don't think about the Psalms being prophecy, but they did. They had much prophecy in them. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And so Jesus taught in parables. And then what was it to do? To confound the wise. The ones that are too smart to get it, the parables confounded them. Jesus enters Jerusalem in his last week. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Well, why did he do this? In Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye daughters of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh on thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Notice it said the king. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Now this is in the, the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is considered the five books of the law. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until the Shiloh come, and on the him shall the gathering of the people be. Well, that Shiloh there, if you go and look up the Hebrew word, that means Messiah, the Christ. John chapter 4, verse 25, this is when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan lady at the well. And the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Well, the, the Samaritans knew the first five books of the Pentateuch. They had that. And so they too were looking for the Messiah. Matthew chapter 21 verse 11, and the multitude said, 
This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Well, why did they put Galilee there? Because he was from Nazareth, but he dwelt in Capernaum because he was rejected. But he was referred to as the prophet. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, The Lord thy God will raise unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And so here they are at the Sermon on the Mount, and they all came to hear Jesus Christ. And when he was set, they were there to hear what he had to speak. They were to hearken unto the word. As Jimmy always makes reference, uh, when they made the, they were going to uh, make the thing to Moses and the prophet, uh, was it Isaiah? I can't remember. Anyways, and then they were going to make Jesus one. And what did God say? Hear ye him. You listen to him. Because if you listen to him, you're going to get the law and you're going to get the prophets. Listen to Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Well, that's that Samaritan lady. She already recognized him as the Messiah, the Christ, and now she's saying you're a prophet. That prophet. What about when Jesus is betrayed? John chapter 13, verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me have lifted up his heel against me. And so Jesus knew that whole time who his betrayer was. Jesus is taken captive. Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, where are, where are, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid their hands on Jesus and took him. so Jesus is looking at Judas and he says why aren't you come but he knew why he was there Peter defends Jesus Matthew chapter 26 verse 52 then said Jesus unto him put away thy sword in his place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword remember him taking the sword out and cutting off the ear but Jesus saying no no we're not going to resort to violence Jesus will go peaceably. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. I'm so glad for the Lord's Supper that Sean read the book of Isaiah. That tells you of his life. Where he was born and he was afflicted, and they didn't, the people of his own people rejected him. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought us as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Jesus went peacefully. Jesus is crucified. Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. 
In Psalms chapter 22, verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Mark chapter 15, verse 27, and with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left hand. Why? Mark chapter 15, verse 28, that the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul on the death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. John chapter 19, verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, saith I thirst. Before he dies, there is one more thing that must be fulfilled. John chapter 19, verse 29. Now there was a set, a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Psalm chapter 69, verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. John chapter 19, verse 30. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. I have fulfilled the law. I have fulfilled the prophets. And he bowed his head. John chapter 19 verse 33 after Jesus died there's still prophecy that's being confirmed about him but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already they break not his legs that was the normal they had to get him off before the Sabbath and so to speed the, the uh, death along they would break their legs so that they would suffocate John chapter 19, verse 36. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone in him shall not be broken. Psalms chapter 34, verse 20. We don't ever really talk about Psalms being prophecy, but there is a lot of it in there. In Psalms chapter 34, verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, not about Christ. Not one of them is broken. That was not the norm. The norm was to break their legs. But God was not going to have it because he said it would not happen. Why? Numbers 9 verse 12. This is talking about the Passover meal. This is the ordinances of the Passover. The law of the Passover. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. And so they were not to break any bone of the Passover lamb. Who's our Passover lamb? The Passover lamb was not to have any of its bones broken. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John, that's talking about John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus is that Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, when they are told to get that man of wickedness out of the congregation to withdraw from him because he had his father's wife. 
Purge out therefore the old leaven, that sinful man, that ye may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. You should be, the church should be unleavened. We should have no sin in it. For even Christ, our Passover, is what? Sacrifice for us. We should be holy as he is holy. After Christ's resurrection, what does he do? What does he do when he finds the apostles? Luke chapter 24, verse 44, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. So these are things he already had told them while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were where? Which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Concerning me. Point number three. Jesus fulfilled the law. We know he was born under it. We know he fulfilled everything that the prophets wrote about him. But how did he fulfill the law? <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 the writer writes, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of infirmities, but within all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so he was tempted. He was tempted by the things that were contrary to, guess what, the law of Moses. But yet he was without sin. He did not, he did not uh, go against the law of God, the law of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, For he hath made, uh, made him to be sin. Well, Christ wasn't sin. He was a sin offering for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteous of God in him. He was that sacrificial lamb, a sin offering. He was the lamb without blemish. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, because he was sinlessly perfect. That's why his blood has value. If he would have committed a sin, his blood would have been just like the blood of those bulls and goats. It would not have been able to wash away one single sin. What happened to the law once he died sinlessly perfect? Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Well, that's talking about the law of Moses that was against us. Well, Paul's writing to Gentiles. The law of Moses was not for the Gentiles. It was for the Jews only, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It was also contrary to the, the, the uh, Israelites, the Jews, because they couldn't keep it. But he took that law and he, he took it out of the way. Well, wait, I thought you said he wasn't going to destroy the law. He didn't. He fulfilled it. Once it was fulfilled, there was no use for that law anymore. He nailed it uh, figuratively to the cross when he died. The law, the law of Moses ceased to exist. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless. So it tells us there's something faulty about that first covenant. Then should no place have been sought for the second. How do we know the first covenant is the law of Moses? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For finding fault with them. It wasn't the law that was faulty. It was the people that were given the law. 
He saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, he's going to make a new law. When is that going to... Well, how do I know which law that, that, that he's talking about? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Well, I know that the old law is the one that he gave on Mount Sinai when he led them out of the captivity of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant. There's where the fault was. Finding fault with them. So they were his chosen people. The law was perfect. The people were not. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. He rejected his people because they wouldn't keep his law. He'll reject us today if we don't keep his law. It wasn't the covenant that was lost. Man, i got to make sure I put in and possibly T on everything because I've missed it today. It was the children of Israel who were flawed because they kept not the covenant of God. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, But now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. If you read the book of Hebrews, that's all it's talking about. It's comparing the old one with the new one. It's telling us the new one's better. Well, the new one includes us. I think it's a lot better. We were without hope before. Is that not what Paul tells them? You were once without hope when you were what? Not You were um, uh, strangers. He calls them strangers. But you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 for verily I say it on you, this is the other verse that uh, Frank uh, read for us. Y'all probably didn't think we were ever going to get to it. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall not no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Well, guess what? It was fulfilled. So now that jot and tittle has been taken away. Uh, he, Jesus did not change the law while on earth. He fulfilled it. He lived it completely. That word jot comes from the word iota. How many times have you heard the word iota? Of Hebrew origin, it was the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But it's the name of the eighth letter of the Greek alphabet, but uh, it means to put figuratively for a very small part of anything, a jot. And so it was a very uh, minute letter. Tittle comes from uh, the Greek word kurahaya. It's something horn-like i.e. especially the apex of a Hebrew letter, typically the least particle of a tittle. That would be like your little um, accents on your letters. Like the apostrophes that I forgot to put in my lesson today. That would be a tittle. However, once the law was filled, then it was removed completely. <clears throat> it was nailed to his cross. Why? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 where a testament is, there must also of necessity, necessity be of death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while a testator lives. What does that mean? When Jesus died, his law went into effect. His testament went into effect. The old one was fulfilled, it was nailed to the cross, he died, he shed his blood, and now the new covenant is put into effect. At the cross, the law of Moses ended and the law of Christ went into effect. Now, was there a grace period? Because people didn't know about the law of Christ. 
So they had to be taught. But once they rejected it, what did, what did Paul say? You count yourselves unworthy. Jesus taught the law more clearly. They were missing the whole point of the law and the prophets. That's what he was doing. And so it sounded strange to them. Oh, you're teaching things contrary to the law. No, he was trying to make you have a better understanding of the mercy of God. To show mercy to other people. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt, when he said, What is the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. They were failing to do this, but not keeping his covenant. Matthew chapter 22, verses 38 and 39. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These aren't new laws. This is what the law taught. They lack mercy and compassion towards their fellow man. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, oh, you're, you're against the law of Moses. They weren't showing compassion to the man that was healed. Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. On these commandments hang what? All the law and the prophets. These two, these two ideals that was true in the patriarchal age. It was to fear God, keep his commandments. Well, how do you do that? You're showing your love to him. And then to treat your neighbor as thyself. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments was man's relationship with God. The last six commandments was man's relationship with man. And then, what was the purpose of the law? Because of our Bible study this morning, I caught that this morning, so I brought my book up here in my Bible, and I opened it up in Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? Why? Why? It was added because of transgression. We read that time and time. The law was given so they knew what sin was. Till the seed should come to whom the promises was made. The law was only there to get the Christ into the world. Once the Christ came, that law had fulfilled its purpose. And so this morning, if you are not a Christian, we invite you to become one. With the plan of salvation that has been in effect for nearly 2,000 years, it starts by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That's how our faith comes. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11, 6. Our faith is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Just as the Samaritan lady recognized him as that Messiah. Well, that's what the Word of God was written for. The miracles that he performed. In their time, it was to produce the faith of those that saw it. In our time, by reading that, that produces our faith. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you keep on reading, it's going to say if they wrote everything that he did, it would not be able to, the, the world would not be able to contain it. <clears throat> Once you see that your ways are different than God's way, that leads one to repentance. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, Jesus says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then we must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son, uh, Son of God. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. That is the uh, confession made unto salvation, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And then you must allow someone to immerse you in water. 
to come in contact with the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 1.5, to have our sins washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. At that time, you were added to the Lord. You're put in His church. We don't add anybody. The Lord does it. If you obey His plan, the Lord does it. And so you're added to the Lord of uh, the church as you're saved, Acts 2.47. You don't receive salvation until baptism, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And then we have been commanded to live faithfully, not perfectly, faithfully. God just wanted faithful people in the Old Testament. And because of he found fault in them, he gave us this better covenant. Remember when Paul says it was by uh, don't get high-minded because it was by their unfaithfulness, their unbelief, that God cut that branch off. And he said, if you've been engrafted in, God will cut us off too. Don't be high-minded. And so he's commanded us to live that faithful life. Jesus has promised, the promises of God are so good. He has promised that he will give us that crown of life if we live faithfully, Revelation 2.10. But God knew, knows the the. the the fate of man, and he knows that we're weak creatures, and that he has provided a way of, a, of, of chances, and that is to be restored at any time. If for some reason we have strayed away from God, God says, if you come back to me, I will restore you to the family of God. And so that, that just goes by admitting it, uh, that you have wronged along the way, having prayer said on your behalf, and then just like that, you're back in the blood of Christ. And so if there's anyone that needs help today, if we can help you in either way, if you come to the front, together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.